Jaws 3, where Lorraine Newman gets eaten by a land shark. See the return of John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as Cooper and Brody. Um, Curtin hears instructions on the radio not to get eaten by a land shark. She hears uh, Brody and Cooper. She hits Brody. Um, just a bunch of uh, little little misunderstandings around the uh, door. Um, and then, um, let me see. Don Pardo. Sorry. And then, uh, let's see. My notes are all over the place on this one. Uh, Brody gets... So the shark tricks Curtin by uh, using a secret knock that Cooper taught her. Brody gets tricked by a shark. Uh, Radner's at home listening to the radio. The shark takes over the radio. Um, She bites him in to offer him Oreos. The shark gets her. Um, This one is, uh, let me see. Uh, And then Brady goes and hits on Cooper's wife. I'm going to redo that whole thing. Uh, what did you think of Land Shark? Uh, Jaws 3. <laughs> I like Land Shark. It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt, D, and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith, D, and Matt. NBC's Saturday Night, also known as Saturday Night Live, episode 6 featuring Lily Tomlin aired on November 22nd, 1975. Hello, Matt and D. So you guys ready to talk uh, Lily Tomlin's first stint on SNL? Yeah, totally ready. Definitely cool. ready to move on from the last episode. Let's move on. Erase it. Bink. It's the race. <laughs> so a little bit on uh, Lily Tomlin here. Lily Tomlin worked with Lorne Michaels before his uh, SNL stint. Now, Tomlin became popular as a stand-up in the early 60s. And she gradually worked her way into TV. Her big, big breakthrough role was as, as a player on the variety show Laughing. Tomlin's two big characters, she had two like super huge characters that, that everybody sort of knew, were Ernestine, the curt and rude telephone operator, and Edith Ann, a plucky little five-year-old girl. And we'll see Edith Ann tonight. At this point in her career, Tomlin's most recent release was an album called Modern Scream. Are you guys familiar with Lily Tomlin? No. Well, okay. Let me revise my answer. I know who she is. I know the operator character. Uh, I've seen, uh, of course, that on TV and like, you know, highlight reels. And I know Lily Tomlin from highlight reels. And I know that she's an actress. Uh, and I know her from the movies. I don't really know her as a comedian. And I certainly, at this point in her career, am not really aware of what she's accomplished. But I will say this. She comes off on this show like a big star. She gives those vibes, I think. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah on all I had no idea who she was at all, and I feel like that's going to be an ongoing trend with me unless I start researching things, but I feel like it's more fun when I don't for you guys to react to. <laughs> no, so, I, I, yeah, I had no idea who she was. I personally prefer you coming in fresh. I think that's absolutely great. Matt, have you ever watched any Laugh-In? No, not really. I, I've never been able to get into it. When I see, like, clips of Laugh-In, because, you know, I know it from clips and stuff, it's just, I don't know, so hammy and, like, and I just, I think it's, it's just too old. It's too dated. A lot of people say, well, Laugh-In was like the spiritual successor to Saturday Night Live or a lot of these other variety shows. But when I see Laugh-In, it sort of skews the other way for me, where it's more like The Muppet Show or even more like 
hee-haw. It's goofier, I think, than the, the variety shows I like. When I hear hee-haw, in my mind, every skit is a Western. It absolutely is. It is. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, is it yeah. really? Yeah, it's a, it's a variety <laughs> show set in like the down deep south United oh, States. Shit. It was on the Nashville network back in the day when we were mm-hmm. younger lads, Keith and I. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was a lot of like hillbilly jokes and country music and heavy accents and gosh darn it, pa. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Mini Pearl, Grandpa Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all they in had, the like, name. Like their most famous sketch, I think it occurred on almost every episode was uh it was a cornfield, and people would pop up from the cornfield with a one-liner joke that was usually like a groaner, which was a takeoff of Laughin's. I think they called it the joke wall, where people would open doors, say something goofy, and close it. Didn't Nixon do a, a, a thing on Laughin? He did. Shock a tumor. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah so Laughin never spoke to me um, at all, and people have pushed it on me, but uh, I, I just never got it. Tomlin's stand-up, however, for me, is, uh, is, is hit or miss. She's huge peaks and she's huge valleys for me. So let's talk cold open. Chevy Chase as Gerald Ford again. Chiron comes up and says, It's not a good impression, but Rich Little won't work for scale. One thing I noticed in this episode, the uh, the stage has changed. That thrust stage where we saw like Loudon Wainwright perform and stuff, that's gone. So we're going to the standard, for the lack of a better term, like proscenium arch stage that we get used to. There was some funny little bits uh, where uh, Chase was taking phone calls and stuff like that. Some fun with glasses of water and stuff. Same deal as usual. He gets up, he goes to a chart, he falls. It's his most contrived looking fall thus far. And then we get live from New York. I thought it was really cute and it was my favorite opening so far. I'm starting to maybe get his humor more or maybe it's starting to grow on me. But yeah, that fall was pretty funny for me those little water jokes physically were funny to me as well so yeah i would say that it's been my favorite opening so far for sure that's what i'm saying chevy chase has been a grower i've been saying chevy chase is kind of growing on me and this you know what it's still working for me i don't like the gerald ford i don't like the gerald ford jokes when weekend update i don't find them funny but this is chevy chase getting to be a little physical yeah i know what you mean about the fall i remember the fall I don't know. It didn't overstay its welcome, which they're also very bad for. So I was almost appreciative of that as well. I thought it was fine. I like the self-awareness that they know he's not very good at that impression. I don't know why they just didn't do something else, but I do appreciate the self-awareness. Yeah, that's very SNL of them. Very classic. What we'll, I think, consider to become classic SNL. It's hanging a lampshade. And interesting enough, we're starting to see a lot of Ronald Reagan. Reagan was running against Ford for the Republican nomination coming up. So we are coming up to election season, which is what SNL is probably most known for in modern times. So I'm interested to see how they handle it at this stage. Me too. So then we go to the uh, the monologue. Uh, Lily Tomlin reads some random quips from a book. It's almost Stephen Wright-like. She does a good job. It's observational, quirky stuff. Um, and there's some really, really funny stuff there. And I think the audience really, really dug it. Um, I enjoyed this, actually. Uh, like I said, Tomlin can be very much hit or miss for me. And this was a hit. Me too. I thought this was good stand up. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I've already mentioned, I really think she comes off like a star. And like the way she carries herself is like, I'm a kind of a big deal here, guys. <laughs> That's the the, my, the vibe that I'm going to get this whole show from her. Yeah, I think, I think her jokes are funny. I, I didn't really have anything bad to say about it. I thought it was, and again, it didn't overstay its welcome. The show uh, has a really good pace so far. 
she's just out there. She does a clever bit. She looks great doing it. We move on. Lily's outfit is so cute. I think she looks so good. Right? And yeah, she does definitely exude these vibes of knowing who she is or who she will be and i really admire that her little thought diary to me it was obvious like right off the cuff i guess that she was using the little book that she had uh, as a prop to me it kind of felt like if somebody were to stand on stage now and read their tweets so (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was funny it was good for me yeah, and I want to clarify that, uh, like, when I say that she obviously, like, she's kind of carrying herself the way she's presenting herself. She's like, I know I'm kind of a big deal. It's it's kind of awesome. It's She's a strong, confident woman, and I really just think it shows. To that, um, she looked really glad to be there and happy to be there. This didn't look like a job for her. Yeah, I get what you mean. She brought it. Our first sketch of the night is uh, Beethoven's First, with John Belushi playing Beethoven. Uh, Gilda Radner playing his wife and uh, Lorraine Newman playing their uh, their housemaid, their housekeeper, their cook. And Beethoven is so focused on composing his next symphony that he's not eating and he's not leaving the piano. Radner and Newman are sad about this and they, they try to convince him to eat and then they leave. And as they leave, uh, Belushi starts playing Tie a Yellow Ribbon on the piano and sort of takes it in as he's doing it. This is a very fun short, and it's the first in a series of three that we're going to see tonight. Uh, this was good. I really, really, really liked it. Me too. Really funny expressions. Very like he, he was cracking me up when he was figuring it out. And uh, and Gilda was really good with the yelling in his ear. Um, she just leans right in. He no-sells it. Yeah, I just I thought it was hilarious. We'll have, I'll have, certainly have more to say. I don't know. His facial expressions, Belushi, they they were funny. But Beethoven was deaf, right? Like, yeah, by 28 years Uh old, he started to go deaf, right? So the hearing jokes, the hearing loss jokes weren't funny for me because I think it's so cool and impressive that he was able to figure out so much after he did go deaf. You could have made funny Beethoven jokes without inserting those jokes about him being deaf. Like, that wasn't funny to me. It's not like he was so dedicated that he couldn't hear them. Like, the man was literally deaf. Yeah, the the deaf jokes are the, the cheap shot in that one. In some ways, I could be wrong, but I think that's how we as the audience were supposed to identify which composer it was, if that makes sense. I Um, identified him as which composer he was by the shot of his hands. Okay. Like immediately, like the way he was dressed, that's a dead giveaway for Beethoven. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it was necessary. Just my opinion though. Unnecessary deaf jokes. For sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. Absolutely. Our next bit, Lily Tomlin introduces Howard Shore and the all nurse band. And Howard Shore is the, uh, at the time, he was the musical director, and they sing the uh, old jazz standard or blues standard St. James Infirmary. Paul Schaefer, of course, front and center on the piano. The band is all dressed as nurses. Shore actually does his conducting with a thermometer. For what this was, Tomlin was great, but the showcase was the band. This was a lot of fun. I love this kind of music. The band, the SNL band all through the years is always the unsung hero, like Don Pardo. This was great. I could have honestly listened to these guys three or four more times in this episode. This was fun. It was a cute little performance, um, the way they changed the set into like the infirmary. I didn't notice that he was uh, conducting with that. That's absolutely hilarious to me. I'm going to have to go back and look at that because I definitely missed some little things in there that were probably worth noting. Uh, I guess I I disagree a little bit with you guys. I I didn't, I thought the nurses thing was kind of hokey. I didn't give a shit. And I thought uh, Tomlin was the star of the sketch. I, I really think she's magnetic. 
And I think she kind of stole the show. And I'd watch it because of Lily Tomlin. The, the, the whole nurses thing was completely irrelevant for me. And then we see Triopanin. Uh, it's re-aired again, the Triopanin uh, arthritis medication commercial that we've seen uh, twice already, I think. You Next know bit that face, sorry. You know sorry. that emoji that's like just a dead face? Like if you were to type it in text, it's just two dots and a fucking slash? <laughs> yeah. That's my reaction to this. I'm so sick of seeing it. I'm falling asleep now listening to Live from New York, the the book about the history of Saturday Night Live. Sure. And uh, I think uh, in my sleep I heard this. It's definitely because of how we're watching it. Back in the day, if you didn't catch it on Saturday night, you didn't catch it. So well, that's why they definitely, like, I'm not saying it's awesome that they, they re-ran it, especially, like, we're only, like, a few episodes in. That's a bit much already. But I think it's important to remember that once this aired on Saturday night in the late 70s, in, in a way, perspective at that time, it was, like, almost gone forever. Like, maybe they'll show it again. Maybe they won't. But that was live TV. We may never see that again. Maybe that's why it bugs me so much, because it's more incentive to watch it again if you don't think something's going to be constantly replayed. I mean, that's a fair point. And that's an element of TV that any consumption, really, we don't have anymore. You know, we used to... uh... We just have to wait for these things and we'd be excited as soon as they come on. You know, I remember in grade 12, Matt, when uh, that first few bars of the Monday Night Raw theme would hit. I mean, you were just excited. But nowadays you just download, you skip the intro and, and there you go, right? Yeah. Jaws 3, where Lorraine Newman gets eaten by a land shark. See the return of John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as Cooper and Brody. Uh, what did you think of land shark? I dig land shark. I think it's a funny sketch. I think it's classic Saturday Night Live. Everybody does a great job. The whole 70s cop thing with Belushi and Aykroyd is great. All the ladies are great. And whoever's doing the voice of the shark is cracking me up. Uh, I love these sketches. It's silly. I enjoy it. The shark voice is always so good. It's pretty funny to me. I like it. And I think if it were to continue to play like multiple times, I wouldn't be upset about it. And like they're doing the same joke. Like it's not like they're cracking new ground. Like it's essentially they're recycling the same joke over and over. But it just goes to show that you can do that really well when there's, you know, talent and effort behind it. Absolutely. And Chevy Chase is the voice of the shark. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Is he in the shark? Uh, He is later. I don't know if he is at this point. Okay. He definitely is later. That's Jeez, funny. spoiler alert. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, and at the end, I, I this was a, an internet rumor. Well, this was a pre-internet rumor that made its way to the internet. At the end, Belushi says that he, he gave up a role in Cuckoo's Nest, one flew over the Cuckoo's Nest, to do the sketch or to be on Saturday Night Live or whatever. I wasn't sure if he was saying that as Belushi, sort of breaking the fourth wall, or if he was saying that as Richard Dreyfus, who played Cooper. Yeah. But neither one of them were supposed to be in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So just to, <laughs> okay. uh, to squash that rumor as best we can. Our next sketch is just a short one. Jane Curtin and Garrett Morris are, are making out on a couch, and they're walked in on by a bellboy played by Chevy Chase who I believe, I could be wrong, as a result of seeing an interracial couple making out. He drops some papers and it gets awkward. I hoped for more on this one. Chase was good with picking up papers and dropping the papers, but I don't know. They could have gone further with this one, I think. Maybe it doesn't have to do with the interracial couple. Maybe it just has to do with Chase walking in on two people kissing, but I certainly didn't get that vibe. No, I totally got interracial vibes uh, and that it was he was dropping because uh, it was a black man and a white woman. Did you get that? 
No, I had that? no idea. I didn't get that. Is that because I'm black? And I was like, oh, it's just two people making I don't out. Know. Um, yeah, I just thought him dropping the papers and stuff was funny. I thought he was just like an awkward, naive bellboy. Like maybe it's his first day on the job and he goes in there and he sees two people making out and he's like, you know what? Jeez, this is a bit much, you know? And he drops his papers. That's just how I thought it was. But as the episode goes on, I can see how you would get that context. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong, but and maybe I'm I'm reading more into it because I mean I certainly do that at some times. But uh, but regardless, his his stuff with the papers was great. Yeah, this episode continues to move along at a really nice pace for me, especially after the last episode. Nothing's overstaying its welcome. They're really like in and out. Even the rerun commercial, like it was so fast, it didn't uh, really bother me that much. At this point, I'm I'm enjoying this episode. Look at us all enjoying the episode so far. It That's was so nice. much. It's so much easier when we do it. It is. It really is. I think we either really have to like it or really have to hate it. I think whole <laughs> month doesn't make for a good episode for us. Right. Yeah. Our next bit is Edith Ann, a short film with narration by Lily Tomlin, who's narrating what Edith Ann, played by Lily Tomlin, is doing. This one is very re- reminiscent to me of the Sesame Street movies, where kids are sort of narrating what they do that were big in the 80s. I'm not a big fan of the uh, Edith Ann character. I didn't like her when I was a child. I thought it was stupid. But in this one where she's she's skating and she like glued her dog's paws to the floor so he wouldn't go on the ice. I, I enjoyed this. I just never liked the Edith Ann character. I, I, I would have rather seen Ernestine the Operator. But for what we got from Tomlin, from Edith Ann, uh, I was happy with this. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was so cute. Just this internal dialogue of a kid learning to skate. The little uh, thing she had with her dog. And at some point, she's, uh, she might say it multiple times. I'm not sure. But she'll just like state about just like something so mundane. And that's just the truth. And like, isn't it though? Like, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I thought this was pretty funny too. And I really like the format. I think when this is a, a format that can really work when Albert Brooks is not involved. <laughs> so that was a short movie. That proved that the short movie can work. When I was a kid, Edith Ann, I used to see the, the, the sketches somewhere. And a relative of mine who was older and actually believed this to be the case, told me that Edith Ann was Whoopi Goldberg in, in, in white makeup. <laughs> um, for years, I believed that because I had no reason to challenge it. Um, <laughs> so they told me this when I was around five or six. And then when I was like 13 or 14, I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, my God. This is why you can't give your kids like casual misinformation as a joke. Because they'll be like, oh, my God, that is what be. And I was surrounded by that as a kid. Just, you know, the kids down the street or the, uh, you know, the odd aunt or uncle who was slightly misinformed. Yeah. So, yeah, for for years I believed it was Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, it definitely wasn't. (laughs) So we next go to uh, Beethoven second. Old Ludwig still hasn't eaten. He's still working. Radner and Newman come back in. Same deal as the last time. But this time, instead of composing his second symphony, he starts playing and singing My Girl. It worked for me. Yeah, I liked it. I I continue to like it. I'm two for two on these Beethoven sketches. I know that Dee probably disagrees. It isn't funny. Aside from his facial expressions when he is playing the piano, like, this isn't funny to me. And... As soon as the second one came up, I was like, oh, my God, 
they're going to keep doing this throughout the episode and I'm going to have to watch more of this. I'm not deaf, obviously. I didn't think it was that offensive when she was yelling. I just thought it was really funny that he, he was so focused on his music that he, he's oblivious to her screaming But it know, wasn't about that. It wasn't huh? about him being focused. That's what like, I thought He's literally was. deaf and everybody knows that Beethoven was deaf. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, he's, she was also yelling, like, right there in his ear. I don't know. I guess I, I thought there was a little more going on. Maybe I read too much into it. Maybe I did. I did take it that he didn't change his focus because he was he was not hearing her. But on the flip side, she was right in his face. I just uh, like why have yeah. her yelling like that if not? Like he could have just simply ignored it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So next we have a Chiron, um, and this one could probably be placed under my face right now, and uh, yours as well, I suppose. <laughs> but he, uh, this guy, seems to be enjoying the show. Good one. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm enjoying the show so far. Our next little bit, not really a sketch, just a bit that they drop in. Gilda Radner announces that the next two weeks are off, and they'll be returning with Richard Pryor and Candace Bergen in December. And looking back on my days of watching television, I wish every show did this so I didn't get stuck watching a rerun all the time. Um, I hear that, but I was a TV Guide family. Oh, see, I, hey, yeah. But we, we all weren't. Well... Should have been. Privilege. (laughs) TV Guide is where it's at. TV Guide privilege. (laughs) Yeah, we got, I had the free one that came with the paper that just told you what was on and didn't really go into too much detail. Me too. That's a TV Guide. That's not TV Guide. You had capital TV Guide. I had, uh, I think mine was called TV Scene. (laughs) (laughs) Call your mom and thank her, Matt, for getting you the real deal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I had no idea you were a mucky muck. Next up, we have a uh, weekend update. It's the debut of one of the most famous jokes that they, well, it's not the debut of the joke yet, but it's the lead up to the joke. One of their big jokes from the first season. Generalissimo Francisco Franco died. The only joke from this I, that I kind of got a laugh out of was Woodstock from Peanuts being replaced by a Nazi bird who beats people to death with a pool cue called <laughs> Altamont. Yeah, um, that was awesome. <laughs> I was done with it, and I actually just watched Gimme Shelter like two weeks ago, too, so it was uh, it was funny. The commercial for this one was uh, Spud Beer, where it's a beer that electroshock patients can have because it's not very good, and you'll forget what beer tastes like. Yeah, that one, whatever. It, it wasn't that funny to me at all. But, did you catch uh, what happened before the Spud Beer? Did you catch what happened? I didn't. The first audience boo of the season and the show. Oh, yeah, what was that joke where they Really? Actually- Chevy dropped this joke and the audience was like, ooh. Yeah, I can't remember what he said. It was, um, oh, I'm going to have to go back and look at it. Oh, my God. It was something, you know what? I didn't even, I, I know I didn't really get it. It was a cultural reference of the time. Uh, but I know, I just know, because Dee said to me, is that the first time the audience reacted like that? And I said, yeah, that's a, that was a, the first time the audience gave one of their, ooh, <laughs> almost scolding reactions. Hello, friends and listeners. It's Keith from the future again. I uh, found the joke, and here it is. The FCC announced today that for every Ford commercial run on television, a minute of an old Ronald Reagan film must be shown. As a result of this action, a spokesman for George Wallace responded by demanding equal time by showing one minute of Ironsides. So there you go. It's a wheelchair joke about uh, one of the uh, people that was on the wrong side of history during the civil rights movement and an old Raymond Burr television show. And now let's get back to the past. The Spud Beer thing, the only thing that's cool to me is a lot of the writers were in on that one. And I love when the writers get on screen. 
more weird universe building. I love that. I want to see more of these different commercials. Keep giving me different commercials. Don't give me reruns. Mm -hmm. If you continue to give me these, even if they're not great, I will still value it from that perspective. And I wish somebody was thinking that. Maybe they will later. I don't know. I'm I'm still watching the show. It's for it's for potatoes, right? That's the joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's for mental invalids, aka potatoes. I bud the spud from the great red mud. And then Chevy's drinking one, isn't he, when they come back? Or is that another episode? He is. No, okay. he is. He's drinking one. And they mention uh, Boise. It was sold in Boise, Idaho. And now I want to check in with Matt. Matt Garrett Morris comes up to do his uh, hard of hearing bit again. Still working for you? Still working for me. Laughed just as much as last time. I laughed. I'm laughing more as it goes on. At first, I, I didn't really get the joke, but it's funnier. And I'm starting to like anticipate when it's going to happen, which is fun for me. And with this one, and I know we talk about it and we mentioned it the first time it come up, this one to me seems less a joke about the death and more about the network making a bad decision in how to help with accommodations. Now I see it as neither, and I just some ridiculous thing in their universe that just happens. The next sketch features Lily Tomlin and, and briefly Lorraine Newman. Lily Tomlin is a sorority sister of Patty Hearst. She's writing a letter to Patty Hearst, who had been kidnapped by the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army. She was a hostage who then sort of joined the group. Um, this is where all the stuff about like Stockholm Syndrome and stuff comes to play in, in American culture. Tomlin's letter turns into a song about how great and obedient life is, being a, a, a loving and doting wife and mother, and urges her to get away from the uh, activism and to basically come home. And Patty Hearst's trial was due to begin in 1976. This sketch was flat for me. This is the probably one of the worst things on the show thus far. Agree. One of my least favorite moments of the show. Not my least favorite moment of the show. It didn't, yeah, it, this did nothing for me. I, I watched it and I paid attention. The jokes aren't here this time. I didn't understand it. I thought it was just a random sorority sister making a statement about just a friend of hers that was in the sorority that had went off to become some sort of activist because I didn't know anything about Patty. And then, because so it was funny to me at first. And then when I had the context explained to me, it didn't become funny. It was like, this is not really tasteful. But like, also, she does have that magnetism. So it did keep my attention the whole time. Next up are the Muppets. We have a uh, short bit with King Plubus and Queen whatever. And by the way, we, all of us, have continually messed up the name of these Muppets. I have said Screb. I think you guys have said Scrat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Scred. And I... I know this and I have it written down and I still say it wrong every time. So, yeah, they have this quick bit where they realize that uh, Scred might be in love with Lily Tomlin. And then they cut from the land of Gorch to uh, Scred and Lily Tomlin chatting together. And then they sing I Got You, Babe. You guys know how I feel about the Muppets. I'd like to hear what you guys have to say first. Scred? Uh, first of all, them going through his crater when they expose, like, this is where he lives, and they walk, like, one foot over, and they just display this, like, mundane crater that <laughs> it could have been any crater, um, and then they start, like, digging his stuff out of the crater. That was really funny to me. They pulled out pictures, there was, there was a little bit of gossip, and then, uh, yeah, it gets to that spot where they're talking together, and they go in to sing that song. That was so cute to me. I'm so dedicated to Scred. Like, even though I got his name wrong in every other episode, do not doubt my dedication to him for one moment. He's so cute. This is my favorite Dregs 
and maybe it will be my favorite dregs ever. It was my favorite one so far. I definitely didn't like it as much as you did. I felt like I liked the Lily Tomlin singing part uh, because I, I I have a crush on her in this episode, apparently. It was kind of Sesame Streety, and you it reminded me, you never see that clip on the internet of Kermit and the little girl singing where she wants Cookie Monster, and it's really cute, and he, it was, and do you remember, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know, but I always eat that kind of shit up. Like, you can give it to me over and over again. So there's this clip. It was unscripted. It was Kermit and this little girl. And she keeps asking for Cookie Monster. And he's like, oh, gosh. And then uh, he kind of gets exasperated and he's going to end the bit. But then she's like, I love you. And he's like, oh. I love you too. And she gives him a little kiss on the nose. And it's really sweet. And this kind of reminded me of that, even though this is heavily scripted and on late at night. And Lily Tomlin is not a charming child. She's still charming. All you have to be with these Muppets is charming. I, I have to come back again. He's the best baby. I almost cried. He gave her a fucking rose. What an absolute sweet little creature. I love him. I would die for him. This is undoubtedly how you use the Muppets. Um, yeah, it is. I liked it. I really, really did. Well done. It, of course, reminds me of the the segment on The Muppet Show where they'd always have the, the host, usually at the wall, I think it was called, where the host would, would interact with one of the Muppets. Even the, uh, the the little bit in Gorch wasn't so bad. This was how they should have been using them from the beginning, and I hope how they use them going forward. Me too. Then we get a re-airing of uh, Albert Brooks's movie from uh, episode one, The Impossible Truth. Um, I was delighted to skip it. We left it on. Matt, what do you have to say about this Albert Brooks film? I mean, nothing I didn't already say. Uh, next up, Beethoven's third. Beethoven still hasn't eaten. He's composing, same deal. And he goes into uh, Ray Charles' What They Say. Radner and Newman join in and gradually go from being completely confused to getting really into it. And Beethoven, or Belushi, does his uh, impression of Ray Charles in this, which uh, I think is a, is a very funny impression. Uh, this one worked for me, and it, it sort of justified the build-up, I think. Yep, my favorite of the three. I loved it. I loved fucking Lorraine and Gilda when they were doing the hand dancing. Holy shit, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I'm not the biggest Belushi guy. He's certainly on the lower tier of my favorite of the not ready for prime time players but his his expressions are so spot on and yeah i i like these sketches yeah you're right for me worth the build-up great payoff love the background dancing it was one of my favorite parts um i got a little laugh out of him when he starts snorting the cocaine and then he go, puts the sunglasses on and goes into that vibe that was good i liked that that was funny I'm glad I sat through the other two, even though I really didn't like them, because this one was redeeming. I want to ask you a question right now about Belushi's performances. Is he better when it's musical or some degree of musicality in there? Uh, short answer, no. Yeah, short answer, no. I also find him funny in other things, so. For sure. Yeah, okay. I don't, uh, I'm, this is, you know, I'm not trying to like spoil my opinion coming up later. I fucking hate the Blues Brothers. Sure, and we'll definitely get to that. Our next bit is a uh, <laughs> construction class. This one was written by staff writers Rosie Schuster and Ann Beats. Tomlin teaches a bunch of female construction workers how to work the, I think it's a jackhammer, I, if I recall correctly. Um, and then how to do uh, the catcalling of men, uh, much like construction workers were and maybe still are known for. But these are female construction workers to catcall fellas. Dan Aykroyd <laughs> volunteers as a live male example. He was an exchange student, they announced him as. And Curtin awkwardly tries to get the hang of it. Gilda doesn't. And Aykroyd feels terrible. Uh, lunch is called and... Uh, 
Gilda and Ackroyd have a few seconds together. Um, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite. This is probably this was down there with the Patty Hearst one for me. This, the Muppets, and the Patty Hearst sketch are my three least favorite moments of the night, and they're neck and neck. I, you know, Dan Aykroyd was funny in this. I, you know, I shouldn't take away from the performances because everybody did a good job and everybody's out there doing their best. And this is nothing against the cast, who I think are uh, talented and funny and brilliant. Didn't think this was really uh, haha funny. Every girl and every gay and every they love to see the tables turn for a second when you're used to seeing so many jokes that are about your group of people. And I don't know, just as a female... And they, seeing that perspective of them literally sitting there and planning out how they're going to do this, it's like, is that what goes on? Like, <laughs> I know it isn't, but it makes me think about that. So it was really funny to me. And Lily's accent and the whole lesbian vibe that she gave in this was really attractive. That was good for me. Not, not really uh, a big stretch for her. I enjoyed this. I, I liked it. Um, the performances were stellar. There was a message here, and it was funny, and it was well-performed. Uh, this was good. I, I didn't rate it super high, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Next up is uh, is uh, an ad for Speed and Beats. Uh, she's one of the writers. She plays uh, Elaine Sherman, who's a very effective, very busy woman who does it thanks to her addiction to speed. Touchy subject, but at the same time, Beats's delivery for someone who's not primarily an actor was stellar. I was actually blown away by how good she was at this. I'm not going to condone substance abuse, but we're all adults. And I think that everybody can kind of laugh at this. It's a choice that people are able to make here. I thought it was pretty funny just seeing her talk so frantically as she put the groceries away. That's speed vibes. It's good shit. I thought it was good shit. It's the kind of, you know, is it a little edgy for the time? Would it be a little edgy now? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not nice to, to make light of amphetamine abuse perhaps on television but i mean this is kind of this is why i like saturday night live because it's not ready for prime time i like it i thought it was funny two follow-ups to that one um first off if if you're gonna make fun of of amphetamine abuse this is a good way to do it (laughs) They, they, they pulled it off this is more taboo today than it would have been then yeah you're probably right about that yeah a lot of these ones, like the, uh, we had the Jamatol commercial last episode where because of Jamatol, Jane Curtin was able to do all this stuff and she slowly falls asleep. These are sort of parodies of a lot of the ads that were circulating at the time about, you know, the working mother who's able to do everything. Point in these ads that women should be able to do everything and should never be tired. Yeah. So these are kind of taking the piss out of that, which I, which I like. Our next bit is a Lily Tomlin bit. Uh, it's a monologue set at a 1950s dance. This was as flat as a pancake for me. It was long. I didn't find it funny. Um, This is when Tomlin sucks for me when she does stuff like this. And it it didn't fit. And it just seemed like a bad monologue that somebody would do at a community theater festival. Hated it. I thought it was hilarious because it's relatable. I have been in her position. I have been that girl like on the dance floor gossiping like, is that boy coming to look at me? No, he's fucking not. But I'm going to sit here and try to act cool and chew my gum, girl. Like, it's relatable. And because of that, it was funny. She just looks adorable in her little poodle skirt. I'm somewhere in the middle of you two, I guess. I certainly didn't dislike it as much as uh, Keith. You know, I I enjoyed watching her do it. It's kind of like what Dee said earlier. Like, uh, I think when she was watching the Patty Hearst sketch, she was like, yeah, you know, I I sat there and I, I was interested the whole time. 
And I did. I sat there and I was interested in this the whole time. I followed the whole thing. I wasn't bored. I didn't laugh, but I wasn't bored. And then we have the uh, the closing segment, which is actually probably one of my favorite closing segments so far. Members of the cast come back as bees to thank Lily for for coming and hosting. It's uh, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, Chevy Chase, and Gilda Radner. They're dressed as bees, and they ask Lily and uh, the Howard Shore Orchestra if they would like to do some bebop in B-flat. Garrett and Morris sounded great. The rest of them sounded ridiculous, but they were having a lot of fun, um, and I really like this ending. It was fun. They all scat. Garrett gets a little kiss. What's not good about that? Yeah, it's fun. I like to see the bees. I love the bees. And yeah, it was just a cute way to end. It was a nice outro. I dug it. Yeah, and I love seeing Paul Schaefer there, too. Yeah, funny-looking guy. With his skullish, yeah. Okay, so let's start off by rating the music. On this one, I love the music. Howard Shore Band, the Saturday Night Live house band, a lot of fun. Really like them. And uh, I Got You, Babe, was the best use of the Muppets so far. But as far as rating the musical guest, quote-unquote, I couldn't have been happier. My favorite musical performance was definitely Lily and Scrad. I, I liked everything musical in this episode. Nothing stuck in my head. I'm not going to watch it again. But I, I enjoyed it all while I was watching it. And let's rate the host. I think the host did a great job. I'm going on record up to this point as of this episode, Lily Tomlin has been my favorite host of SNL. Lily's great. She's so magnetic. Every single delivery of hers had me entertained and compelled, even if I didn't like the joke itself. I think this would be awesome if you're a, a Lily Tomlin fan. Like, this would be high, high regards. I'm hit or miss with her. Um, I thought she did a very good job. Her opening was good. Her song was good. The construction worker bit was good. Edith Ann, who I usually find annoying, uh, was not so annoying. Yeah, uh, the 50s dance didn't do it for me. The Patty Hearst didn't do it for me. But I think uh, I think Lily Tomlin did quite well. And uh, what's your worst bit of the night? My worst bit of the night is going to go to the uh, the Patty Hearst sketch, I think. I think I've decided. That's the one where I was... Um, I was my attention was drifting on that one. Lily couldn't even quite save it. Uh, yeah, didn't dig it. Too dated and just not not really clever. Yeah, the Patty sketch, not good. What was that? I said the 50s dance, just didn't do it for me. The bit of the night, skit, sketch, whatever, joke. Scrat and Lily singing together. Oh, uh, shit. What was my favorite part of the night? My favorite, uh, my favorite bit of the night. I'm not, I, if I can pick all three, it was the Beethoven business. The Beethoven got lots of laughs out of me this episode. And you know what? That's funny that I say that. Lily Tomlin not involved in this bit, even though I loved her as a host and I love her in this episode. Not even my favorite part of the night. Isn't that funny? What a good episode for me this was. Yeah, uh, for me, it's also the Beethoven build, the three Beethovens. If I had to pick one of the three, it's obviously the last one. But uh, but yeah, totally, totally Beethoven for me. And the MVP, the star of the night. Lily Tomlin. Lily, baby. I'm going with Belushi for the Beethoven bits, but I got to give an honorable mention to Ann Beats for her delivery in that speed commercial to me was just stellar, especially, you know, I don't know what, what her acting background was, but she was definitely better known as a writer so yeah uh belushi with uh with a wink and a nod to ann beats so i'll give you a little epilogue on this one well lily tomlin you'll be pleased to know comes back and the uh howard shore orchestra obviously doesn't leave uh for a few years in that incarnation um so we'll see the band every week and we'll see lily tomlin again before too long okay so overall for me 
The host was good. She went all in. Tomlin, for me, can be hit or miss. This was a big hit, except for uh, the two sketches I have noted before. The writing and the format-wise on this one was really good, and this was a great showcase for the, the house band, who who really never gets uh, the, the credit they deserve. Albert Brooks's movie being a repeat was great, and... And I didn't watch it. And The Muppets in the Land of Gorch was a good short use of The Muppets. Scred, of course, is the best of The Muppets, and he was used perfectly. The sketches are getting better. I really like Beethoven. I liked the the way it built throughout the episode. I noted here that I think Belushi is shining when musicality is involved, and that's no surprise knowing where we're going. But it was nice to see this uh, evolution. The 50s bit would have been a downer if it wasn't for that last bit of sort of improv bebopping for me. Overall, I gave this one uh, episode, I gave it a 7, which uh, is is the highest I've given any episode thus far, tying it with uh, Candace Bergen and the, uh, the pilot. I thought this was a classic Saturday Night Live episode. I thought the host did an excellent job. I thought they were integrated well throughout the uh, sketches. The music was all good. There, w- there was nothing that really stood out as, you know, obnoxious. I, th- I thought the pace was really good. Even when I wasn't really getting the laughs, I was still interested in the performances. There wasn't anything special, but everybody did a good job. I give this a 7 out of 10. I was always interested in this episode from beginning to end, and I think overall that's because the writing in this episode was probably so good. The host, as you know, I already think is a 10 out of 10, but overall I gave the episode a 6. It did keep me interested all along, as I said, but I don't know what it's going to take for me to rate higher than a 6. I need something that, that really makes me laugh. I get it. I know exactly what you mean. You're waiting. You're waiting for that first big cracker. SNL hasn't had that first big cracker yet. So yeah, we have uh, Matt scoring it with a 7, Keith scoring it with a 7, and D scoring it with a 6. That gives us a average rating here of 6.7. The fine folks over at IMDb, the users like you and I, uh, have given it a 7. So we're not far off at all. Hey, yeah. That's, uh, we don't even have to in- adjust for inflation. That's Not at all, spot. no. No, and actually, this now ranks this as the highest rated of our episodes. This beats Candace Bergen, which had a six point two. So Lily Tomlin was a was a success. Yep. Our next episode is one of the uh, legendary episodes from season one. It is hosted by Richard Pryor, and the music is done by Gil Scott Heron. So we'll be back in a week's time, thereabouts, with episode seven of S N Hell. Thank you very much for joining tonight, uh, D and Matt. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you again as we are illuminated by the flames of S and Hell. <laughs>